Good evening, how are we? Good evening. Awesome. Alright. Y'all are uh, symmetrically spread out throughout our worship room, which is a victory in of itself. And uh, the first thing they teach you when you plant a church is to celebrate the victories that are upon you. And I'm excited. There's people in the front row, middle, it's not all... Um, last week we had to add chairs and the first three rows were empty. So, uh, that's not even uh, like a, that's not a witty church joke. That's a factual thing that happened. So um, thank you for dispersing yourself evenly. Uh, tonight we're going to continue through our study in the book of Genesis. We're going to find ourselves in Genesis 12. If you want to turn there, that's where we'll be most of the night. We're also going to be in James 2 if you'd like to bookmark that for a quick turn later on. Um, so last week, Jamin spit fire. Like I was... Uh, we are really blessed to have a guy who is just a great storyteller. He can connect a lot of things, and he needed to last week. Last week, he, wor- he worked through roughly a 1,000 years of Old Testament theology in about 27 minutes. I'm going to spend the same 27 minutes doing about eight months. So he did a really good job of just working through. He started uh, with Cain and Abel and ended uh, with the Tower of Babel. And he did a really good job of emphasizing how quickly sin can change everything. Sin separated us from God and in doing so just catastrophically changed the outlook of humanity. Um, You see what was eating a piece of fruit that was forbidden quickly turned into the shedding of family blood where you see um, Abel's blood crying out for justice to God simply uh, years removed from just a simple piece of fruit being eaten. But the the, the, the scenario there is, is purely um, just what sin can do and how far sin can take you. It's so true that sin will always take you further than you ever thought it will and it will always affect more people than you ever thought it could. And we see that theme continually replayed in Old Testament. And whether it is Cain and Abel, or, or Jamie walking us through Noah and the flood, or, or Tower of Babel, all these uh, staple stories in the Old Testament that just depict really the same thing. It's different stories, same theme. Sin is idolatry. You see groups of people putting things in front of God, in, in the kingdom of their heart, instead of God, they have put something else. They have made that exchange where they would rather, they'd rather, they'd rather worship the creation instead of the creator and then and then doing so leading to destruction he did a really good job of just tying that all together and saying all sin is idolatry and no matter what you're doing no matter where it's taking you to or how far you've gone the key to turning back is always putting god where he should be and that's at the four point of your heart like if you ever find yourself so broken and so dark that you can't find your way back i'm here to tell you there's always a way back and there's always a road to redemption and that road to redemption is putting god as your king and anytime that you find yourself wayward it's because god is not your king and he's not your true north and you find yourself lost but the way back is true. I know I'm talking and you like to scream when I talk, but we're going to work through that because we got a lot to do. All right. So um, I hope that the stories that we're going through, and a lot of them are like staple Sunday school stories. We've talked about creation. We've talked about the institution of marriage. We've talked about the fall in the Garden of Eden. We've talked about uh, Cain and Abel, the flood, Tower of Babel. We're going to walk into the, the introduction of Abram today. All of these things are staple Sunday school stories, and I don't know where you find yourself with your church DNA or the history of church, but everything we've covered so far has really been what we call felt stories, blue felt. Who grew up here on blue felt? Thank you for all 
four of you. Wow, that not a great uh, not a great <laughs> ratio. You have to trust me. In Sunday school, there's blue felt. You put it up there, and it had something to do with just a a hallmark staple story of the Bible. But I want you to always lean into these stories and really understand what they are. They're not a series of individual stories that God just threw into a book, hoping that you would understand them and you'd be wowed by the story or the theme or the plot. They're a, they're a continual fluid story of redemption. God's not laying out stories so you can be wild by His creation simply to be wild. What He's doing is leading you to the cross. What He's doing, He is laying out a systematic way for us as humans to understand that He is God. He has created everything. He is sustaining everything. And He is saving everything in His triune nature. And I hope that we continue to embark on that as we work through Genesis. That is why we decided to study Genesis so we can understand our faith by better understanding where we came from. Today we're going to look at one of those foundational pieces of the redemption story where it's just Abram, where we see this person who will turn into Abraham. He will be the father of the, of the Israel nation. He is very popularly known as Father Abraham, who had many sons. Anyone else? The, yes, the blue felt fell flat, so I didn't have a lot of hope for the Father Abraham and many sons. Okay, that's better. All right, we're not completely lost. All right, so if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read out loud if you'll stand with me in just the honoring of God's Word. It's going to be behind us. There should be Bibles spread out amongst you. If you do not have one, that one is yours. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will dishonor you. And those who dishonor you, I will curse them. And with all your families on the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. You may be seated. Let me pray over us, and we're going to dive in. God, thank you for today. Thank you for just the opportunity we have to open your word, to dive into your word, and just let it rain over us. God, I pray that the Spirit would come in this room. I would pray that you would just guide our hearts, that our thoughts would be your thoughts, our word would be your words and our deeds would be what you've called us to do. God, I pray that for the next few moments that we just solely focus on the learning of your will for your glory. I pray all these things in your name. Alright, so you can read through Genesis chapter 12 and it really can just be a oh an introduction and Abraham's being called to geographically move and you can quickly move on to a, a story with a little more pizzazz or a story with a little more drama. You've heard about the Tower of Babel. You've seen the world be completely flooded. You've seen the first brotherly strife end in murder. So as far as the pop or the, the sexiness of this story, you can rate it pretty low. Um, but it's crucial that we understand the minutia of what's happening in chapter 12 that we focus in on the importance of one the introduction of Abram Abram will go on to establish the nation of Israel and through the nation of Israel Christ will be born and through that we will be saved and that in of itself is a beautiful fact that we can never lose sight of but there's also some applicable object lessons there's some real truth being spread out in chapter 12 that I never want us to lose sight of first we see the Lord calling Abraham to go he says Abraham go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he is calling Abraham to do something. He's saying, I have seen something in you, and I want you to follow my call on faith, and I want you to move, and I want you to leave everything you know. 
And that can be lost on us sometimes. I know Dallas is a city of transplants. A lot of people in this room don't live very far from, or live very far from their family. They have no family support system as far as uh, blood family. Um, and they're kind of doing their own thing. And like that's just kind of what we do. That's not that big of a deal. But in this time and in this culture, what he's asking Abraham to do is to leave every form of support system he could ever have and never really turn back. The fact that he is leaving his family, leaving his home, leaving the land that would be uh, bequeathed to him through his father, he is asking him to do something extremely countercultural. He is saying, hey, what you would normally happen is Abraham would stay, he would inherit stuff from his family, that land would be his land, that land would be his son's land, that land would be his son's son's land, and they would stay there for really eternity or as long as Abram roamed the earth, he would be in that area. And what he's saying, I'm calling you to a different place. I'm not even going to name it in the first sentence. I'm saying, I want you to go where I am going to tell you. I need you to leave every kind of human support system you can imagine. And I need on faith for you to move. God's invitation challenges Abraham to abandon everything and rely every uh, on every aspect of God. He then quickly says, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. We have a quick contrast from the Tower of Babel. Uh, just a few chapters ago, God spread out humanity because they were trying to make their own name great. But what we see through God's plan is, is I have a plan to make your name great, but it will be through my, my timing, my power, and my sovereignty. I will call you to a greatness, but that greatness will ultimately lead on to glory to the one true God. So he's saying, I want you to leave everything you could ever know, and in doing so, through that faithful action, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all families on the earth shall be blessed. He says, I will bless you. There is different kinds of blessings. There is a, there is a uh, ceremonial blessing where you can say, I want good things to happen to you. I want, I want you to understand that I want good things and I want bad things to stay away and I can do a prayer. That's, a, that's one of the blessings you find in the Old Testament. But the specific blessing that he's talking about right now is a divine favor, a consecration, a sanctification. He's saying, through doing this, through following me and following my will, I'm going to consecrate you. I'm going to set you apart and I'm going to bless you. He is foreshadowing the salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. He is saying, I'm going to invite you into this land and through your your obedience and through your action, I will establish the nation of Israel. And when he says all families on the earth shall be blessed, he didn't say all families of your future family or all families of your future nation. Or he says all families on the earth. That is us. He is right now establishing his plan for salvation through Jesus Christ for the world. Through this action, through this act of obedience, Abraham is setting up a way for Trinity Church to be saved in 2019. He is setting Setting up a way for a lost person to come through that door and find his Savior through the obedience of a man named Abram in a, in a land called Ur. So Abram went. And as the Lord told him, Abram's obedience was immediate and unquestioning. And here's the truth. Today we're going to hit up some stuff that may be uncomfortable. Some of this may be introspective. I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself as far as where you come along in God's call and how obedient you are being. But the answer that we can see here in the Bible are really cut and dry. It's, there's, there's a lot of areas in the Bible that are super complex and take a lot of prayer and a lot of wisdom and a lot of the Spirit coming in and showing us the way. That's not today. 
Today, there's some beauty in just the simplicity of what we're going to study. And Abraham answered yes, and then he went. He unquestionably moved and showed his immediate obedience. And that's the only way you can be obedient to God. There's no scenario where you can say, I want to do what you're calling me to, but... Abraham shows us that to be obedient to God, it has to be immediate and it has to be unquestioning. If it's not immediate, it is disobedience. Uh, uh, Prolonged or delayed obedience is actually just a churched up version of disobedience. If God tells you to move, if God tells you to act, and you say, I will, but I'm going to get a few more things in line, then you are disobeying God. Abraham shows us that he is called and he moves. He takes his wife, he takes his nephew, and... They go. Because there's a few things I want us to unpack. There's a few things I think that we can walk away with. The big, the big notion is, yes, God has set out a plan uh, through the lineage of Israel, through the lineage of Duke Judah, through the lineage of David, to find Christ our Savior to be born on this earth. Yes, that is starting to be established. Yes, there is a plan for redemption that we can actually like put some, some uh, genealogy to starting right now. But there's also some applicableness that you can use Monday morning where we can see Abraham has paved the way of what it looks like to be faithful. And I think a lot of us need that. A lot of us say, I want to be faithful. I want to be inside the will of God. I'm not 100% what that looks like. And I'm absolutely not unsure how that looks like inside. Am I being faithful to my specific call? Am I being faithful to the generic call of the church? Or if I'm being specific to the call of who I'm called to be individually as a man or woman of faith. So Abraham answered God's call. He acted and he moved and he is counted as faithful. There's countless scriptures that call Abraham faithful and righteous all because his faithfulness and his willingness to move. But here's here's what you have to understand tonight. No matter what God is calling you to, you are answering God's call. It may be with a yes and it may be with a no, but God is not calling you to be static. He is not calling you to tread water and he's not calling you to stand still. No matter what you are called to do and no matter what God is putting before you, you are answering God's call. We say it a lot, well, Abraham answered God's call. He did, but he answered God's call with obedience. That's why the nation of Israel was started. That's why he's counted righteous. That's why he's counted to be the father of many nations is because he answered that call with obedience. But you need to know right now, simply, Monday morning at 8 o'clock, God can and will put something on your heart, on your mind. He may be calling you to something and right then and there, you are going to answer God's call. It may just be with a simple disobedient no. It may be a, I'm not going to do this. I may try to answer that fear with logic. That got said at the men's Bible study. I don't remember who said it, but it keyed in and I really liked it. A lot of times when we are called to something that scares us, we answer it with logic and that logic brings us back to no. But what we have to remember is there's nothing logical about leaving everything God's put in your way to establish you and support you. So Abraham was built, born into a really large family. And, and family is a beautiful thing. It's a gift of God. We know that to be true. And it would be very easy for Abraham to say, you would not call me from the support system you created. You made my parents. You made my, my wife. You made my family. You made all of these people. You would not call me away from that support system. We would answer that call with logic. That logic would be a no. And that would be disobedience in the will of God. And that's a really scary dangerous place for us to find ourselves. So I want us to understand, no matter what you do, yes or no, you are answering God's call with obedience or disobedience. And God is calling you where you are at right now. 
God is not calling you when you become a better version of yourself. God calls you like He saves you. He called you and He saved you at the worst version of yourself. Because the best version of yourself is still pretty bad. Right? We are broken sinners that need a Savior. There is no delusion inside God who He thinks, I'm going to call you once you get your stuff together. I'm going to call you once you finally fill in the blank. Once I be, do this, I establish this, I accomplish this, then I can answer God's call. God calls you where you're sitting right now, March 24th, 2019. He is calling you in the same way that He saved you. At your lowest, at your highest, wherever you find yourself, God can use you. I know that because that's what Genesis chapter 12 teaches us. Abraham, there's nothing told us much about Abraham. Abraham is really heard of the first time in Genesis 11, verse 27. So three verses later, he's being called in to God's will and to God's plan to be a father of many nations. There's no historical revelance or fact that he was a a spiritual giant or that he was an amazing husband. We know he was not a father, and we don't know much about him, but there's nothing to tell us that he was just killing it or that he had established a really successful ministry or that he was closing the big deals or that him and Sari, their marriage was on the next level and they were getting asked to do marriage conferences. There's no scenario in the Bible where it tells us that Abraham was this man among boys. He was just counted faithful and said yes. And a lot of times we can trick ourselves into thinking the people in the Bible are the LeBron James of spirituality. We can think yeah, he's using Abraham because Abraham's Abraham. He used Paul. Paul's Paul. He used David. Look at these guys. These guys are bums. We're bums. We're all absolute broken sinners in need of a Savior and we have a Christ that died for us thus allowing us to be sanctified progressively in the image of Him. But aside from that, we are bums. Abraham proves that. In in chapter 10, he kind of does this sly thing where he's like, hey, Egypt's pretty rough. God's called us here. We're going to sojourn to Egypt because there's a famine and these guys are pretty rough. You're a 10. This is a paraphrase. This is not... This was probably somewhere in the message, but uh, it, it, <laughs> Bible joke. Um, I don't know. That's not in the message. So he, he comes up to Sari, his wife, and actually, I asked our family group, uh, the women in our family group, and said, "Hey, hypothetically, if your husband came up to you and said, hey, pretend to be my wife, I don't want to catch, or pretend to be my sister, I don't want to catch a beating. Um, and I'm paraphrasing my family group, but they pretty much were completely willing for their husbands to catch the beating. They're like, uh, looks like you're going to catch a beating from the Egyptians. You may not make it out of this one, but when, you, when they finally get you, you're going to go down as my husband. So you see, you see the imperfection of this man. He, Abraham is just a faithful human. If he's a human, he was born into a sin nature. He had the same things that plagued him that plagued us. He had the same issues with glory. He had the same issues with his wife. And you see all this imperfection quickly laid out only a few verses after. So the idea that God can't use you because you're not the better version of yourself is exactly where Satan wants you. Satan wants you thinking that next year when you live your best life, that's when you're going to start the ministry. Next year, when you become the better version of yourself, that's when you're actually going to be the good wife or the good husband or the good mom or the good dad. Once you finally get your stuff together, because you have to have your stuff to a certain level where the Spirit can ever move, which is complete heresy that is only spit out by the serpent. The Spirit's here to move tonight where you find yourself regardless of the brokenness. But what you have to understand is obeying God's call is directly tied to faith. Period. 
It's not where you find yourself, what you've accomplished, what you've stayed away from, what sins plague you, what sins don't plague you. Wherever you find yourself is where the Spirit can move. But that understanding of obedience comes from faith. Faith is what makes the man and woman move. Faith in the God that created everything. Faith in the God that sustains everything. Faith in the Savior that is, that is sanctifying them. Faith in the Spirit that can move and empower them. That faith is directly correlated to your ability to answer your call. It's you saying, I trust God more than I trust myself. I trust God more than the comforts of this world, more than the comforts that Satan has established. We've talked about it at length, that Satan isn't going to come at you right head on. He's, he's, he's the author of lies. He's a, he's a sneaky serpent. He's not going to hit you right where you live. What he's going to do... Did I call him a sneaky snake? I got like two laughs. Okay. He's a very sneaky snake. Um, he's going to come at you where you least expect it. You, you would think, hey, if I got this opportunity that's going to help my, me financially or help my power grow or my glory grow or my family grow, it has to be from God. But a lot of times what Satan wants you is so comfortable you can't take that first step. Because all we see right here is Abraham taking the first step. He never says, hey, there's going to be 12 sons, there's going to be 12 tribes, it's going to be great, you're going to grow and grow and grow, God's going to bless you, God's going to bless you from your lineage, there's going to be this tribe called Judah, and the line of Judah is going to be beautiful, and from that lineage, there's going to be a king named David, and you just keep going and keep going, and out comes Jesus from uh, the, the, the virgin birth of Mary, and then there's going to be this cross. He doesn't explain that to him in Genesis 12, he says, move, and Abraham moves. That's what faith looks like. There's a really good scenario that tonight you're being called to do something that you have no clue how it ends. It may not even end in your lifetime. You're just a piece of the puzzle that God's using in His sovereign way to sanctify others. Because Abraham dies not seeing the empty tomb. Abraham dies not understanding these 12 nations that will be blessed and blessed and blessed. But Abraham dies knowing he was faithful. He knows he was broken. This isn't even the last time he asked Sarah to be his sister. But he knows he's broken. But you know, he's been called to something greater. And that's the truth of that tonight. That y'all have been called to something greater. I don't know if you're going to see that something in your lifetime. But I know you're going to be a part of it in your lifetime. I know that God uses everyone for everything he can. He's not going to say, you know what, I'm going to use this half of the room because they're killing it. This half kind of sucks. So we're just going to have them in the support team. That's not how it works. We, we serve a God that can do amazing things. He parted the sea. You don't think he can use you? Yeah. He rose his son from the dead. That tomb is empty. Whether you live like it or not, that tomb is empty. You have an empty tomb and a Savior sitting at the right hand of God, and you're wondering if you're too big of a sinner to be used by God. That is a Satan tactic 101. I know because I live it. We were burying our souls at at men's Bible study. And my go-to plague where Satan gets me is he tricks me into thinking I don't have the right to teach you about the gospel. That's right. He says, you know what? You've lived too dirty of a life. You're too big of a bum. You don't have your stuff together. You don't have the right to open this word of God and preach it to the people you know you love. That's exactly where Satan has me. And you know what? One of the guys that I love in our our church said, Brian Davis, said, I'm tired of hearing that crap from your mouth because it's not true. It's from the serpent. I feel like I'm about to just yell at all (laughs) y'all. There's no better lie and cop out than I'm too broken. First of all, get over yourself. Like you're talking about the Spirit right now. The fact that you think you've sinned one too many times that the Spirit just can't muster up the strength to sanctify you and move you to the will of God. Get over yourself. One, you're lying to yourself. And two, you're letting Satan use you. 
faith without movement, your faith without the desire to say, yes, God, use me, is actually not faith that's dead. If you look at James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, I have faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, or if one of them says to them, Go in peace and be warm and be filled, without giving them the warmth and being filled, without giving them the things that they need for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. And I know that's a really controversial statement because we don't know Paul has written at length that you don't need works to be saved, and you don't. Paul and James aren't in opposition. They're talking about the same salvation. Paul is saying that you can't earn salvation. It is by grace alone through faith. What James is saying, that faith doesn't exist if you ain't moving. It's not saying that you need faith to be saved. He's saying, or you do need faith to be saved. He's absolutely saying that. He's saying, he's totally said that. We're going to cut that one out. You absolutely need that faith. But what he's saying, if you're not moving, that faith don't exist. That faith is getting you nowhere because it is dead. If you have something you've been called to do and you said, hey, I'm all about the will of God. I'm all about the sanctifying uh, works of the Spirit. I'm all about the empty tomb. I'm just not going to tell you one about the gospel. I'm here to tell you you don't believe in those things. If you don't want to tell someone about the empty tomb and you don't live your life in accordance to the empty tomb, then you don't believe in the empty tomb. And I know that's super hard to hear, but I would. it keeps me up at night when the people I love may not know the gospel truth. And the gospel truth is, if you have faith, or you say you have faith, but it has not made you move, then you don't have faith. And you need to be truthful with yourself. You need to be truthful with yourself. A lot of today is cut and dry. If you have faith, then move. If God's called you to something, say yes. And there, there are, I'm not saying that's easy. I never said the truths of today were easy, but I said they were simple. You have been called to something. Say yes. If you have the faith that leads you to be called, then move. Action, moving, speaking, living. God's calling you to do something for the cause of Christ. And you have to be honest with yourself. Are you moving? Are you actually living out the life that you're telling people your faith should drive you to. Because the scariest thing for me is for me to realize that I'm just good at talking. I lay at night and I think, am I just a public speaker? Like, am I actually living out the life that I'm yelling about people on Sundays? When I say the tomb is empty, does that radiate through my bones? And I'm trying not to give away Easter because Easter's theme is live like the tomb is empty, but I'm already kind of there, so let's just embrace it. <laughs> The tomb is empty. You can't find our Savior's body on this earth. And there's nothing more beautiful than that. But it's not beautiful because I can say it with a certain kind of continence. And I can bring out emotion. It's beautiful because it's true. And that should propel us to move and spread the gospel and live out the will of God for the cause of Christ. Let me pray over us. And then we're going to worship some more. God, thank you for calling Abraham. Thank you for every element of your redemption story. God, I pray that we always view the Bible as that one beautiful story of redemption that we might one day be in the presence of God. 
God, I pray for courage. I pray uh, for stamina. I pray for just the ability to say yes, regardless of what the end result means. God, I pray for that fear to be ripped out of our lives and replaced with faith. God, we know that true faith causes us to move, and moving is scary. God, I pray that you had, would have the Spirit walk alongside us as we move so that we can live a Spirit-filled life, that we could see people how you see them, we could live our lives how you would call us to be lived, and that we would do all things for the glory of God. God, I pray that not just because it's Easter or not because it's this season, but the fact that that tomb is empty would keep us up at night thinking of people we could tell about the empty tomb. God, I pray all these things in your name for your glory and your ways. Amen.